Vox Quick Hits. Welcome to Worldly, part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm Zach Beecham, here with uh, my co-hosts, Jen Williams and Alex Ward. Uh, on our big episode this week, we talked about the notion of great power competition, which is increasingly dominant in especially Washington, but also in capitals like Beijing and Moscow, where people are thinking about the world in terms of how these really big, powerful countries are competing for influence in different spheres and sectors. Um, and one way this conversation often plays out is it gets like described as an inevitable arc of history, right? That, well, as uh, China gets stronger and grows and Russia becomes more assertive, then the U.S. is necessarily put in a more reactive situation where it's fighting for influence that it used to have over the course of time. And th- that sounds inevitable when you describe it like that, right? Like a stronger China means that it must be more competitive with the United States. But that was not obviously going to be the case. There's a lot of optimism that as China got richer and more integrated into the global economy, that it would democratize or at the very least become less confrontational towards uh, Western states than it might have been otherwise. That turned out not to be the case uh, you know, for a lot of different reasons. But I, I think a big one right, has been the choice of individual leaders. Yeah, I think it's really important to look at in particular, when we're talking about Russia and China, which are the two main kind of players, when we talk about the framework of great power competition, the personal leadership styles and behaviors of, in Russia, Vladimir Putin, and in China, Xi Jinping. I think when you look at the trajectory of China in particular, um, yes, China was rising economically, politically, on the international stage, definitely before Xi Jinping. Um, and there are, you know, debates about whether it would have ended up in in the current position it is now with or without him. But I think I think it's really difficult to understate how important Xi Jinping has actually been to positioning China in the very kind of aggressive uh, on the international stage position it is. It's beyond just the economics, right? China could have been an economic powerhouse, but also been more integrated into the international political system. The entire kind of U.S. foreign policy approach toward China was focused on the idea that as China became more part of the international system, it would start playing by the rules. Xi Jinping has very much taken China in its own direction and basically said, look, we're going to stay this authoritarian country. We're not going to democratize. We are going to you know, play by our own rules. And if you don't like it, deal with it. Uh, we're powerful and you can't stop us. Um, I think very much Vladimir Putin has played a similar role in Russia. So I think you know, it's really important to look at individual leadership. And I think to some degree, former President Donald Trump plays into this as well in terms of the reorientation of American foreign policy towards America first and that, you know, nationalist kind of focus. That's totally true. I think it is important, though, to mention that, you know, great power competition arose very, very late in the Obama administration um, as an idea, uh, as a way to move away from the war on terror, and also because China had backstabbed America on a whole bunch of things. And so, you know, the U.S. The pivot to Asia in the pivot to Asia and and, uh, and a cyber treaty and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, but basically, you know, the Obama team was like, all right, we've got to start taking these taking on these guys. Trump took it to an extra direction where everything was competition. And that was on trade. That was militarily. That was on even nuclear weapons. Um, it was everything. And now with Biden, 
I think you're seeing a bit of the you know, roaring fire die out a little bit because even though Putin and Xi are still around, you know, Biden, Biden is the new guy on the block in this um, great power competition triangle. And uh, if you will, the final three of the great uh, power competition baking show. And uh, Biden is, you know, he, he's still very much looking for competition here. Um, he's still very much trying to speak tough about China. He's been saying as much. He's even speaking out more forcefully than Trump did on human rights issues. Um, but his main thing is we're going to push back on basically everything China does economically, militarily. But we're going to leave some space open for cooperation and on things like climate change and uh, and, and pandemics. So that's important. Uh, that is a, that is a shift for sure. Um, the question is, do you see uh, Xi and Putin sort of move again? If this were like a, a, a scale, right, where in the Trump years it was way over to the competition side, it's the needles moved a little bit more to the cooperative side, not much. But do you see Xi and Putin like sort of take advantage of that? I don't think you would. I don't think they will. Right They're They're in charge for life basically at this point, And like they have no incentive to move away from their larger projects. But it is interesting to see that just the change in election in the United States at least, you know, lowered the heat a little bit on, on what was a really scary moment where it looked like, you know, forever the U.S. and Russia or forever is too strong. But for a while, it looked like the U.S., Russia and China were just going to head in like really negative and scary directions. Well, I think. You know, interesting, Russia is a bit of an outlier when it comes to the Trump administration, because while the administration itself uh, did a lot to try to challenge Russia, Trump himself was, however, you know, you want to talk about Trump and Russia and his personal ties or whatever. All of that aside, like Trump has very clearly said for a long time that it's in the U.S. interest to work with Russia. Uh, A lot of that has to do with his fear of nuclear weapons and nuclear war. He's talked about this at length um, for for decades. Um, And I think, you know, in that sense, it wasn't just outright U.S.-Russian competition. I think Russia was very much still seeing the relationship that way, and particularly Vladimir Putin. Um, I think a function of who Vladimir Putin is and where he came from, you know, he came from the KGB, the the Russian spy service. Uh, You know, he came up in the kind of era of U.S.-Soviet competition, right? I think he very much still sees Russia and wants Russia to be even bigger uh, as a strategic competitor with the United States and will continue to, you know, attack the United States in terms of cyber uh, and challenge the United States and try to expand its influence, uh, Russia's influence in Eastern Europe. Um, But I don't think that necessarily competition was the watchword on the Trump administration. I think that will be interesting to see how how or if that changes under the Biden administration, because one, you know, Biden does have an existing relationship with both of these leaders, but, you know, including Vladimir Putin. Uh, So I don't think he will be as um, enamored of the gentleman as as Trump was in person. Uh, And he has a bit of a kind of clearer understanding of how Putin tends to try to manipulate things, including in conversations. But at the same time, there are very clear interests in having the U.S. and Russia cooperate, especially on arms control. So I think that'll be an interesting uh, way to see where that relationship goes. Yeah, I mean, there, this this sort of taps into a perennial question that uh, is the extent to which these kinds of big picture foreign policy orientations are determined by individual choice rather than structural factors that either box leaders into particular choices or lead to that leader taking power in the first place. You know, in the Putin case, I think it's kind of interesting, right? Because on the one hand, there's nothing that that forced him in some kind of literal immediate sense to move away from Yeltsin-era 
closeness to the United States. But there was a tremendous failure of policy in the post Soviet era in Russia that eviscerated its economy, led to a rise of oligarchy and organized crime, mass immiseration during the privatization process, and national humiliation at the end of the Cold War that would make it much easier for a leader like Putin, who is so enamored of the idea of making Russia great again and asserting Russia's influence on the world stage and standing up to the United States and its liberal democratic hegemonic ideology. That kind of person has an easier time consolidating power and pushing their own political vision in the the Russia that was created in the post-Cold War order. And it's just it's it's difficult to know, but hugely important, right? There are all these consequential decisions about not just in, in the capitals we've been talking about, but also, you know, in Germany about whether or not to authorize a Russian gas pipeline that's going in. Uh, right now, the current German position is strongly yes. The extent to which India should orient itself towards uh, its traditional non-aligned foreign policy in the past, a pro-Western stance that it's taken in other cases, or try to embrace China not as a, a rival or a strategic threat, but as in, in its region, but potentially a competitor and relaxed tensions between two countries that have come into conflict sharply in the past. It's, you know, there, there are lots of different choices that these strategic actors will have to make. Um, and whether or not those choices are determined by the character of the individual leaders or the nature of the situation they find themselves, both domestically and internationally, um, very much remains to be seen. Now, uh, we get into some of these potential choices and how to think about them uh, in the full episode of Worldly. That's W-O-R-L-D-L-Y. And if you're interested in that, you should go check it out uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher, we're there. Come listen to us.